Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You you hem me in, behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When it comes to self-awareness, the Kahari window is a useful tool. 
consists of four quadrants organized along two axes representing what I know about myself and what other people know about me. So the higher up you are, there's more, the more personal awareness that there is. The further to the left you are, the more you're dealing with common knowledge. And the top left-hand quadrant is called the arena. This quadrant contains public knowledge, stuff that everybody knows. I know it, you know it, no secrets here. I know this is true of me, you know this is true of me as well. Everything's out in the open. And it's, it's uh, hopefully not a bad place to be. Another quadrant is the facade. In this quadrant is stored knowledge that's personal to me, but I keep hidden from the rest of you. High self-awareness, but it's not common knowledge. I know this about myself, but it's my secret, and I'm going to keep it that way, and I'm not going to tell you. I know that churches love it if their ministers bring stuff out from behind the facade and put it in the arena. They love it when ministers kind of wear their heart on their sleeve. But I am actually a very private person. And for that reason, I'm cautious about putting my innermost thoughts and feelings in a goldfish bowl where everyone can see them. So there's quite a bit behind the facade, actually, and it's staying there. I can assure you that there aren't any skeletons in my cupboard. Uh, There's no massive discrepancy between what you see on the outside and the person I am deep down inside. Uh, But that doesn't mean I'm going to open the door wide and invite you all in to come and have a look. Um, The church, yes. It's a place where we can and should be open and honest with each other and a place where we respect each other's privacy as well. The two can go together. The third quadrant is the blind spot. Uh, Stuff that you know about me, but I don't know about myself. You might decide it would be good for me if this information was shared with me. So it comes out of the blind spot into the arena so that I can be made aware of it. And I might be grateful to you for doing that. Or I could be deeply hurt, depending on what that information is and how you share it. And then again, even when you've told me, I might refuse to believe you. No, that's not true. I don't accept that. That's not the case at all. In which case, I'm deliberately putting blinkers on to conceal something from myself that I'm not prepared to accept. That would say a lot about the kind of relationship that we have. And the fourth and final pane in the Kahari window is the unknown quadrant. This is always necessarily blank, because I don't know what's there and neither do you. But God does. And God's intimate knowledge of every detail of my personal and private life, and yours, is the theme of Psalm 139. God knows me inside out. There are no secrets from him. His gaze penetrates to the very core of my being. He reads my mind. He knows my thoughts before I can put them into words. Every moment of every day comes under his careful scrutiny. Everywhere I go, his eye is upon me. 
the realisation that that's the case might perhaps cause me to be careful about some of the places I choose to go to. Yet the psalmist doesn't feel threatened by God's surveillance of his life. Unlike the idea that Google is watching your every move, there's a degree of security in knowing that God knows everything there is to know about you. Because he loves us. Indeed, he knows us far better than we know ourselves. The psalmist talks about being hemmed in on either side. God in front of him as his shield, God behind him covering his back, God up there laying his hand upon him. Every direction you look, you're surrounded by the presence of God and and there is no escape. Consider your options. Where do you go to get away from the presence of the Lord? Go up to heaven, God is there. Make your bed in the depths, in the place of the dead. God is there as well. Suppose I get up first thing in the morning and travel as far as I can across the sea. At the end of the day, still find myself in the presence of the living God. Even there, his hand guides me and his right hand holds me. I can't escape him. Can't get away from him. Can't distance myself from him at all. I can't, hide from him, I can't hide from him in the dark. I can't conceal anything under the cover of night because God sees in the darkness as if it were broad daylight. For the psalmist, and maybe for us as well, this is good news. Because it means however far we stray, wherever we wander, we can never walk off the edge of God's map we can never escape his providential care for us. Everywhere we go, he goes. Everywhere we find ourselves, he is there. You just can't shake him off. He sticks with you through thick and thin. You may lose sight of him in a sense of being lost and in darkness, but he never takes his eyes off you for a moment. How come God cares about us so much, knows us so well? For the psalmist, it's all about understanding that we are infinitely precious in his sight because he created us in love. We don't simply roll off the end of some mass production line. We're not simply the product of loving or unloving relationships casual or violent sex, or the result of advanced test tube technology, you, as a person, were created and fashioned in God's image. And he took great care over how he made you. God knows us inside out because he knit us together when we were in our mother's womb and he created our inmost being. A more literal translation of Psalm 139 verse 13 would be that he created our kidneys which doesn't quite have the same ring to it. But the kidneys were perceived as being the seat of the conscience. So the psalmist here is talking about God creating our sense of right and wrong, our moral fibre, our backbone, we might say. Get this. Knowing God as your creator leads to the realisation that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. There is nothing demeaning 
about worshipping God. Worshipping God isn't saying, oh, I'm rubbish and God is great. It's not about debasing yourself and placing yourself in a position of worthlessness compared to him. Realising that God is our creator gives us a sense of our own dignity and value. And the more amazing and majestic God is, yes, the, the more there is a sense of wonder that the living God should take such great care over us. But our dignity and our value and our worth lie in the realisation that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Not unwanted in his eyes. Not an unfortunate accident in his eyes. But created in love. The psalmist uses a fair degree of poetic license in saying that we were woven together in the depths of the earth. For a start, we know it didn't happen in the depths of the earth. And all this talk about being knit together or woven together might make you feel a bit like a woolly jumper. But actually, our DNA, the very fabric of our being, consists of long molecules comprised of two strands woven together in the double helix. And when I say those molecules are long, I mean they're long. If the width of each strand were two millimetres thick, then the length of each molecule would be 50 kilometres. It's it's mind-boggling, actually, the intricacy of the microscopic fabric of our being. Fearfully and wonderfully made indeed. And God saw your unformed body when it was under construction in the depths of the earth, as the psalmist puts it. The language here is obviously poetic rather than scientific. And that's always an important thing to bear in mind when you come to interpreting what the Bible says about creation. But the point is that God knows us as well as he does because with loving care and attention, he created us. He shaped and fashioned and moulded us. We are the work of his hands. And each and every one of us was carefully and lovingly fashioned in his image. In that knowledge lies the key to discerning the value and the importance and the significance of your life. Who you are. Who you really are. Then there's a bold statement coming in verse 16. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How does that square with free will? How do we make sense of that when things go badly wrong? Or we screw up our lives in some spectacular fashion? What about when our lives are cut short by tragedy or disaster? All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We we may want to skirt around this claim by saying, well, it's just an expression of personal faith and that, yes, there are always dangers in pushing the language too far. Deriving doctrine from the Psalms is a hazardous process and best avoided. So what can we say about this verse? 
Well, we can say with confidence, I think, that whatever goes wrong, whatever happens to us, it never takes God by surprise. Never catches him off guard. He's never left ruefully scratching his head and saying, well, I never saw that coming. God knows. God knows. And we may be totally unprepared for it, but he isn't. And when the unexpected hits us and floors us, he is there because he saw it coming. And he knows what he will do about it as well. Our dishwasher broke the other week. The water in it wasn't draining away. I was trying to find out why. And uh, there's, there's what looks like a little button inside. I pressed that and the water did drain away. Um, but the button didn't come back and the water event drained away. But it eventually came out on the floor. And... Um, the engineer who came and said, oh, yeah, you, that's the temperature gauge. You push that in and actually, you know, all the water pours out in the electrics and that could be the end of it. Uh, but it wasn't, happily. Uh, you know, he came and, and said, oh, I'll send this part to the post, but it's up and running again. And I'm always relieved when something goes wrong and you find someone who says, that's all right, that's repairable. I can see people nodding, yeah. Because actually you think, is this it? Is this the end of the road for this piece of equipment? No, it can be repaired. And I'm profoundly grateful when something breaks and there's someone who's able to come and look at it and say, I can sort this out. In our lives, when something's broken, God is the one who says, I know how to fix this. It's not damaged beyond repair. It's not the end. I don't have to throw this away, actually. Let me come and effect a repair. And because of each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made, he never throws us away because he knows he can find a replacement easily enough. We are never beyond God's capacity to repair us. So don't make the mistake of supposing that you've blown your chances with God or you've reached the end of the road and there's no way back. Because God is committed to looking after you and caring for you and repairing your life when it gets damaged. Because he saw it coming and he knows what needs to be done and he's able to do what needs to be done. When the psalmist talks about God's thoughts being precious to him and that they are so many in number, he can no more count them than he could number the grains of sand in the desert. The word he uses for thoughts can also mean intentions or purposes. God has an infinite range of options on the table. So when you can't see the way ahead, that's the time to trust him for him to say, actually, this is the way through this or out of this or around this. He never runs out of options when dealing with our lives. And not even death itself which is for us is the ultimate finality. Not even that can come between us and the God who creates us. As the psalmist says at the end of verse 18, when I awake, I'm still with you. You're still there. That could be a reference to making it safely through the night because God is watching over us and taking care of us. But a couple of times the word used here is clearly used of resurrection. When I wake up, I'm still with you. Isaiah 26, 19 says, but your dead will live 
Their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up. Shout for joy. Beginning of Daniel 12 says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and contempt. And for the psalmist, when he talks about waking up and finding God is still there, that he is still with God, he may have been thinking that even when he's breathed his last, he will wake up and find God is there right beside him. The only difference is that whereas God has been an unseen presence at his side throughout his life, then he sees God face to face. So this is a psalmist who is devoted to God because he knows just how much God is devoted to him. And it is perhaps for that reason that he has little time for people who malign God, who use God's name as a swear word, or who hate the God he loves so much. He has nothing to do with them, he wants nothing to do with them, and for his part his devotion to God means that if those people hate God, then he hates them. Well, that's a long way short of Jesus' ethic of loving your enemies. But Jesus hadn't come yet to bring that fuller revelation of the character of God. Yet what the psalmist is saying is, if you want nothing to do with God, then I don't want anything to do with you, because God is everything to me. Reading verses 19 to 22 in that way help us see why they have a legitimate place in a psalm of devotion to God. It's exclusive, it's wholehearted, and it's complete. And the psalm ends with a prayer. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And in practice, the end of the psalm takes us right round to the beginning again. It's a prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart at the end. And the beginning of the psalm says, God, you have searched me and know me. You are familiar with all of my ways. Gives the psalm a kind of circular quality, inviting us to read it repeatedly over a period of time. But knowing that God knows every aspect of his life in intimate detail, the psalmist welcomes and invites God's scrutiny. Search me and know my heart. Lord, you have searched me and you know me. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. There is stuff about you that you don't know, that nobody knows either. But all that knowledge is in safe hands, secure Don't need to worry about GDPR in this particular case. Because you belong to the God who made you and who loves you and who knows you inside out. And he will keep that knowledge secure and safe. You really can trust the God who made you with every detail of your life. The stuff you know and the stuff you don't know. Because you belong to him, and he is always with you.
Let's pray. Lord, this is hard for us to grasp because we can only understand as much as our minds can comprehend and, and your knowledge is so much greater and more complete than ours. Again, we bump up against the limits of our knowledge, stuff we don't understand about you or about ourselves or about your providential care for our lives or about the future all the unknown things that threaten us, we place them in your hands. We entrust ourselves to your loving care. We belong to you. And thank you that you are committed to defending us and keeping us safe. May the knowledge that we are in Christ, in your presence, be our protection in this coming week. In Jesus' name. Amen.